0: Would you open your Bible the book of Romans please the book of Romans chapter 14 The 14th chapter of the book of Romans a wonderful wonderful chapter it has more scripture there if you just want to know how to have a the right attitude and live a godly christian life boy that's the the chapter for you There's so many guidelines there on just how to live for the Lord Jesus Christ. And in Romans chapter 14, well, we stand because we reverence God's Word and it's a short passage, but why don't you go ahead and stand. Let's, Let's read God's Word today. Maybe you could just read it aloud with me since it's so short. One verse, Romans chapter 14 and verse 17. 14, 17. For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. And look at the verse, the last clause. What is the kingdom, the spiritual kingdom of the Lord right now that we're in as believers? If you're a Christian, you're in the kingdom of God. Now, it's a spiritual kingdom. It's not a literal kingdom. Christ is not here reigning on his throne yet. So what is this kingdom? Well, the characteristics of the kingdom are three, righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. Thank you. You may be seated. About two months ago, December the 9th, 1918, in Chengdu, China, The early rain covenant church was ready to begin their worship services when the police raided the church. The police took much of the property that they could carry away with them, all of the things that they would use in the normal services of a church. They arrested over 100 people, including the pastor and his wife. They were detained, which is a word that brings chills to your flesh if you live in China, because to be detained is an indefinite type of semi sentence. Basically, it means that the authorities can hold you, that nobody knows where you are, your whereabouts. You may or may not be charged with a crime at that point in time, and you may stay in detainment for an indefinite period of time. And so now, about two months later, Pastor Wang Yi is still in detainment, as is his wife and several of the members. Some of the members have been allowed to leave and return to their homes, but most of them are detained. They don't know, nobody knows where they are. Nobody knows what's going on. They have been In some cases, not even charged yet with any kind of crime or impropriety. The pastor has been charged. Pastor Wang has been charged with subversion, an attempt to subvert the state or the government of China. Upon his charges, he wrote a letter to to the church members. And he had it smuggled out of the prison, fortunately, where he was. And in his letter, he said in one statement at the close of it, Beloved brothers and sisters, do you have joy? Beloved brothers and sisters, do you have joy? He said, I thank God for what has happened. Because only in this kind of circumstance and situation do we really learn to trust in the Lord. And we really sense his presence working in our lives. And he went on and on talking about this. But the words that caught my attention were, brothers and sisters, do you have joy? And as I look out at this congregation this morning, I have a question for you. Brothers and sisters, do you have joy? Do you have joy today? Note with me our text again. People who are in the kingdom of God demonstrate three characteristics. Righteousness, which is the doing of right. Doing the right thing really is practical righteousness. That means right living. If I'm righteous, I am Doing right. I am living right, if you will. And then the second characteristic there is peace, which means not right living, that means right relationships. So I'm living right according to God's Word, and I'm treating people right. But secondly, I have peace, that's right relationships with God and with my fellow man, and then I have joy, and joy is the fruit. Now, get this. I don't want you to miss it. Joy is the fruit of right righteousness and peace. Joy is the fruit of right living and of peace, of right relationships in your life. I grew up in Sunday school, as did many of you, most of you, no doubt, And we had a little Sunday school course, and sometimes I still think of it. I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. You like that? Four times. I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Ah, there. I was waiting on that. Where? And then you would sing again. I've got the joy, 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 joy. Oh, come on, you bunch of sophisticates. You think you're too cool to sing that song, don't you? Shame on you. One more time. I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Well, all right, not a concert here. That's it. But I really get blessed on the second verse. If the devil doesn't like it, he can sit on a tack. (laughs) Ouch. I mean, aren't y'all ready to go out and charge the world after that this morning? But you know what a lot of people have noted, and I have too, that joy seems to be a missing note in American and Western Christianity. How many people do you know we are joyful people, not too many, not enough. Couldn't we all agree on that, not enough? And I look at a Baptist church full of people and hundreds and hundreds of people in a big auditorium and everything is so nice and it seems like we ought just be jumping off of the ceiling, you know. And we look like we've been baptized in vinegar water, preserved in pickle juice or something, you know, we don't show much joy. Maybe we have it, but if we do, we, are, we have advanced degrees in how to hide it. And the world today cries for real, genuine, old-fashioned Christian joy. Our text teaches us that joy is a primary characteristic of the Christian life. Righteousness, peace, and joy comprise, this passage says, the kingdom of God. At least it's three very basic characteristics of the kingdom of God. And boy, when you begin to study your Bible, you find out it really is. Joy occurs 165 times, the word in your King James Bible. The word glad or gladness occurs 68 times. And the word rejoice, which is joy, really, with a re on the front of it, rejoice, have joy again, occurs 192 times. So those words that describe joy occur about 425 times in our English Bible. In other words, you can't read more than two pages at a time without reading something about having joy, having gladness, rejoicing, somebody rejoicing. The joy of the Lord is a constant theme running through our Bibles. And how is it used? Well, let me just run you quickly through a bunch of Scriptures. Don't try to look these up because you won't have time to look them up. I'm just going to briefly comment on each one. But here's my point I want to make, that All through the Scriptures, this is a redundant theme. It occurs over and over with repetition 425 times. Here's a few samples. In Nehemiah chapter 8 and verse 10, the people had built the wall, but they had drifted away spiritually from the Lord. Nehemiah calls them back. They have a great celebration. And Nehemiah writes to the people, the joy of the Lord is your strength. We all know that when you're discouraged and you're down emotionally, you're weak. You're weak spiritually. It can even affect you the way you feel physically. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Psalm 16 and 11, in thy presence is joy evermore. In other words, there'll never be a note of sadness or despair in heaven in eternity with our Lord in his presence. In Psalm 126, 5 and 6, He that goeth forth and weepeth bearing precious seed shall doubtless come again with rejoicing bringing his sheaves with him. In other words, when we witness and when we win people to Christ, the greatest joy we can experience is the joy of winning a soul to the Savior. In Luke chapter 2 and verse number 10, At the birth of Christ, The angelic choir came, and over Bethlehem they sung, This is good tidings of great joy, because the Savior has come into the world. In Luke chapter number 10, and in verse 17, it says that Jesus rejoiced. It says it again, two more times that I've found as I've studied for this message. So at least three times in Scripture, I read where the Lord Jesus himself, that he rejoiced in his spirit. Now, what's interesting to me, it never says one time in all the Bible that Jesus Christ laughed. There's not a record of Jesus laughing. So joy then is not hilarity. It's not the party it's something much deeper than that. Jesus is never recorded that he laughed, but it says repeatedly that he had joy in his life. In fact, in Luke chapter 15 and verse 7, it says that when a sinner repents of his sin, there is joy in heaven, that heaven just shuts down and they shout and they're filled with joy when somebody comes to know the Lord Jesus Christ. You know what I like to think about? and I don't know that this is true, but it it encourages me. So leave me alone in my simplicity, huh? But when I give the invitation here and some people come down the aisle and they receive Christ as their Savior, I just kind of imagine that in heaven everything kind of stops and for a few minutes and the angels say, look what is happening down there at that Baptist temple. And they just stop and they shout with joy. They're thrilled that another sinner has come home. Joy in heaven when a soul is saved. And ladies and gentlemen, we don't ever want to get to where we don't change things in heaven, do we? We want to be able to lead people, many people to Christ. In John chapter 15 and verse 11, it's the night of Jesus' death. Is he thinking about himself? Not a whole lot, it seems. His concern is that after his death, as he said it, I want your joy to be full. I want your joy to be full. He was concerned about the joy of his people after his his death and his ascension back to heaven. In John chapter 20 and verse 20, it's the night of the resurrection day of Easter. And the disciples are huddled in this room. The doors are shut. Fear overwhelms them. And then it says these words, Then were they glad when they saw the Lord. They were glad, and it's the synonym for the word joy. In Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2, it talks about Jesus looking forward to the cross just before he went to the cross. And it says this, he endured the cross by anticipating the joy that would follow after that. How could the Lord Jesus Christ ever endure the cross and all that he went through? Well, it appears he was focused upon the joy that that act of crucifixion would bring to the entire world throughout all of eternity. And it was the motivating, if you will, factor in his going to the cross and holding him to the cross as he died for our sins. He endured the cross by anticipating the joy that would come. In Philippians 2 and 2, Paul has gone from prison to prison to prison. Everywhere he went, he preaches, he's persecuted, he's thrown in jail. And what does he write? Rejoice evermore, and I say unto you again, rejoice. His focus is upon joy, rejoicing, even though he's in prison, even though he's deprived of his freedom, this man has the ability to have joy in his life. In First John 1 and 4, John tells us the purpose of his writing. These things I have written unto you that your joy would be full. I want you to have fullness of joy, he writes. Galatians 5 and 22, the fruit of the Spirit is Joy, Second characteristic mentioned here. If I am filled with God's Holy Spirit, one of the qualities that I will experience, one of the the characteristics of a Spirit-filled Christian, I have joy in my life. By that measure, I ought to be very concerned when I don't have joy in my life on the negative side. In Psalm 100, it says that we are to serve the Lord with gladness. Same word, an in. Our service for him, our gathering together here, ought to be characterized by a spirit of joy. When the preacher looks out and the people look up and the choir sings and the Sunday school teacher teaches and the pastor preaches, a spirit of joy ought to prevail in the atmosphere of the entire church gathered. In Psalm number 30 and verse 5, it's a tremendously encouraging passage for those of you who are going through trouble. Weeping may endure for the night, but joy cometh in the morning. Joy cometh in the morning, no matter how dark it is at midnight, a better day will come if you're a believer. I can't promise that to an unsaved person. But no matter how dark it may be at midnight, joy comes in the morning. There will be a morning after the midnight. And yet there seems to be, with all of those verses and hundreds more, there seems to be this lack of joy in Western and American Christianity. Why do I say Western and American Christianity? Because I've preached around the world. I've had the privilege of going to many different countries and preaching. And one of the things that stand out to me, particularly in the third world, is the joy that the people have compared with the lack of joy that they have in America. You don't have to, you go to the mission field, Jeff and some of our guys were down this week in Mexico with Larry Allred. And you go there, and there is an atmosphere of joy around the world that you won't see generally speaking, in American churches. You'll see a little bit of it here or there. The question is, what do they have that we don't have? Wrong question. What do we have that they don't have? That's the problem. That's why I think, if were you to ask me my opinion, and you didn't, but I will give it anyhow. If you were to say, why don't we have joy? I would say, number one, worldliness. You can't love the world and love Jesus in a way that's going to bring joy in your heart. When I lack joy, it's a sign that my affections might be on the wrong things. Second thing is busyness. We are too busy to have joy. You see, be still and know that I'm God. Stop every now and then and think. Meditate. Meditate. Get calm inside But you know we don't do that in America We just go from one event To another event From the cell phone to the computer To the TV screen I can promise you one thing Bird watching is never going to become The national sport Because we can't sit still And be quiet for a few moments We are people who are hypercharged You know why we don't have joy? Joy We don't stop and think about our Lord and our relationship and eternity and really important things. We spend our life on the surface and the superficial and the shallow, and we lose our joy. Why don't we have joy? I think we don't have joy because we have urbanization. And you go to these other countries, it's simple and plain, and they're not so sophisticated and... They're in touch with the ground. They farm. They garden. They, have, they, they touch nature. And we have gotten so far from that. There's, there is a calmness about nature. There's a calmness about taking a walk through the woods. We don't have time. We're too busy for those things. We think. Why don't we have joy? We're amusing ourselves to death. I've told you many times, it was so interesting when I found out about that word amusement. Muse, M U S E, means to think. You put the Latin A in front of it, ah, muse, it means to not think. That's what amusement is. So I go home and I sit down and I hit the switch on the remote and I, look, I blob out. I don't have to think. They're doing the thinking and I'm just sort of sitting there and vegetating, huh? And there's a time for amusement. There's a time to be amused. There's a time when we we need some amusement. We need diversion. But we also know that we got a lot of studies now supporting the fact that too much amusement is very, very negative. In fact, the more you're amused, the more you have to be amused. And you know what? One of the big problems that you, particularly young people, I want to talk to you. One of the things they'll say is, I'm bored. I'm bored. You know what boredom means? I've been amused too much. I've been amused too much. So I have my cell phone and I have my music plugging in and I have all the social media and I have all the stuff and I'm always always moving and I'm always in activity and so on. And then suddenly I don't have it. And what's the word? I'm bored. Meaning... I have now gotten so addicted to being entertained that I've got to be entertained every minute. I can't be unentertained anymore. Ah, muse, to not think, over amusement. And so, worldliness and busyness and being removed from nature and amusement, over being, too much amusement. And before long, we don't have any joy. We've lost that which makes life worth living. Let me say quickly, I want you to distinguish between joy and happiness. Let's say I'm walking through the grocery store over here at Food Line. And as I walk through the, uh, the grocery store, there's always a lot of people in there. And I kind of randomly begin approaching people and I say to them, uh, can you tell me what joy is? I'm doing a little survey here today. Can you define joy for me? Can you explain what having joy in my life is? Uh, I'm a Christian, and the Bible talks 425 times about having joy and gladness in my heart, but I really don't have much. I, I need to really understand this joy thing. Can you, can you help me? What words do you think I might hear from the people that I was asking? Number one, I think I'd hear happy. Joy is happy. And uh, we live in a happy, clappy world today, you know. Everything is happy, happy, happy. And then I think I might hear the word delight. Maybe somebody with a little bit more thoughtfulness would say, well, joy, it's um, sort of like contentment too, isn't it? To have joy would be to experience contentment, and I would say yes. Yes. I think everybody in the room would agree with me that the, the most common word that people would use, though, if I said define for me what it means to be joyful, I think they would say happy. And I want to tell you that as long as you confuse that, you'll miss something here. Joy differs from happiness. Let me give you now the best definition I know of joy. And there's several. I'm going to give you two before the sermon's over today, but the first one is this. Joy is a peaceful, calm delight in life's circumstances. A peaceful, calm delight during life's circumstances. Joy. A peaceful, calm delight in my circumstances. Now, sometimes the Bible also uses the word glad. Many times it does. And it's almost the same thing. Glad is a better definition of joy than is happy. Far better. And in fact, happiness, not joy, is the primary value of our culture. And that may be why we don't experience the joy that I would like to see us experience. You see... People in America are committed. One of our primary values in America is to be happy. Everybody wants to be happy. I want to be happy. We all want to be happy, of course. I guess it goes back to the Declaration of Independence. And there, of course, you know, our founding fathers guaranteed certain inalienable rights, they referred to them, rights that are given to us by God that the government didn't give and the government can't take away. And what are those rights? They said, well, first of all, is life. Now, that's big because of what's happening up in Virginia, isn't it? The Bible says that's an inalienable right to live, to have life, even for the unborn. Then the second word that uh, the founders used here is liberty. We have an inalienable right to liberty, to life, to liberty. And then it says the pursuit of happiness, but notice, it didn't say happiness. And I think Americans have gotten that really upside down. I think we think that we have a right to be happy. I sat in counsel with a woman many years ago now. This woman had left her husband because she found faults in her husband. She left her children, several of them, because... She was tired of the burdens of caring for children. And I said to the woman, why are you doing this? Please explain. Help me understand that I might help you. And she said to me, basically, you know, I just want to be happy. I just want to be happy. Now, everybody wants to be happy. That's natural. Nobody wakes up and says, what can I do today to be unhappy? No, happiness is a a normal desire of ours, but don't confuse it with joy. Don't confuse it with joy. In fact, I hear people say this, I deserve to be happy. You ever heard anybody say that? I think I deserve to be happy. Watch television. You'll see that sometimes on an advertisement. You'll see that expressed in some way. I deserve to be happy. Really? Where'd you get that? Where on what basis do you even could you even think that? And in most cases happiness has the idea of laughter, of light-heartedness, of hilarity, of freedom from the responsibilities of life. I just want to be happy. I want to go to a desert island. I want to just Cool it for a while and I don't want to have to Worry about all the stuff in life That I'm dealing with Happy usually means Amusement I was talking about a while Ago it usually means Entertainment it means a movie a Concert a ball game A vacation Always the idea of doing something That's why As I said these studies show that amusement Too much amusement Produces boredom in people the more people are amused, the more bored they are when they're not. I, a family. I read about a family. Uh, they went on vacation. They said, "We want to get away from it all." They got away from it all, and guess what? There was no Wi-Fi. After a couple of days, they couldn't stand it. They went home. They couldn't. They couldn't live without being connected to the world of entertainment and the world of information. That word happiness is from an old English word. It meant, and they said, they said hap. If you read some of that old English Shakespeare and some of those, they talk about hap, if hap. And what it means is it's the first half of the word happens, which means happiness is based on what happens in my life. Happiness is based upon the circumstances in my environment, the atmosphere around me, that I take my Cues for how I feel from what is going on in my environment, my health, my marriage, my romance, my job. Did my team win? Do I have money today? All these are factors in people being happy. They're the happenings, the circumstances of their life. So simply stated, happiness is completely tied to the circumstances and the joy of the Lord is completely independent of the circumstances around us. Happiness is dependent on what's happening out there. The externals, joy is a fountain springing up within me that's internal that I can carry my weather with me, if you will, wherever I go. So let me define it again. What is joy? Joy. It is a peaceful, calm delight in all of life's circumstances. So in the next few minutes, let me try to explain to you thirdly then the basis of Christian joy. I've tried to distinguish between joy and happiness. I've tried to show you that joy is a theme that is a characteristic of the Christian life. I've asked you the question, do you have joy? Do you ever think about it? Instead of the pursuit of happiness, maybe we ought to talk about the pursuit of joy. Because I don't think joy is something you're just going to get today, pal, like that, maybe. It may be something we have to pursue, that we have to learn, that it's something that is a process that we gain in the Christian life as we grow in the Lord. But It's certainly worth the pursuit, is it not? In the world of pills, in the world of alcoholism, and in the world of people trying to escape in a myriad number of ways, Wouldn't it be wonderful to just be able to carry your own sense of well being and calm in all the circumstances of life and you you wouldn't have to depend on anything? That's Christian joy. Turn quickly with me to the book of Isaiah, chapter 12. There's a beautiful word picture here that the prophet gives to us Isaiah, chapter 12, and verse 2. Isaiah 12, and 2. Behold, God is my salvation. What a phrase. God is my salvation. Not the church. Not praying a prayer. God is my salvation. I will trust. And as long as I trust, I will not be afraid. For the Lord Jehovah is my strength. He's my song. He also has become my salvation Therefore because of that with joy shall you draw water out of the wells of salvation oh what beautiful words therefore you will draw joy out of the wells of uh, you will draw water out of the wells of salvation So he pictures the Christian life like this. There's a well. In those old days, of course, those wells were hand dug when he wrote this. And you would let down a bucket and let it fill up, and then you would draw it up on a rope, and you would use the water. And he pictures that well as our salvation. And we let down that bucket, and out of our salvation, we draw up joy, refreshment, we draw out what makes life worth living. Alan Redpath, the great English preacher, said, and I quote, Our joy is based upon forgiveness. Our joy is first based upon having a clean conscience. And end of quote. My joy is based on forgiveness upon a clean conscience. And so my salvation is where God has provided for me forgiveness. He has provided for me a clean conscience. I can be right with God. I can be right with the world. I can go and pillow my head tonight and go to sleep knowing that my sins are forgiven, that things are right with God, and things are right with man. Vertically and horizontally, I'm right. And it clears my conscience And how many people today have no joy because there's this barrier between them and the Lord in their sins. They can't draw water out of that well of salvation. You remember the story of David sinning? Of him looking at the woman, lusting after her, it going further than into adultery. And uh, then ultimately conspiracy to murder her husband even. What a horrible, horrible, dark blot on the man that the Bible later calls the man after God's own heart. How could that even be? And Psalm 51 is a wonderful, wonderful passage. You might want to mark it in your Bible when you sin, not if you do, but when you do, when I sin, it's a great passage to read and reflect on and think about how did David deal with his sin, And among other things, after he confessed, he made an honest, thorough confession of his sin. And then Daniel, or David, pardon me, he prayed like this. Lord, restore to me the joy of my salvation. You know what he was saying? As long as that sin block is there, my joy is blocked. I won't have the joy. Restore to me not, he didn't pray, restore to me my salvation. He said, restore to me the joy that drawing water out of the well of salvation should be producing in my life. You see, ladies and gentlemen, please hear me. Note what I'm saying to you right now. Joy is not something that you work up, joy is something that's imparted to you in the process of. Of becoming clean in the blood of Jesus Christ. It's not something you work up. It's something that the Lord gives you as a part of the salvation package when you stay right with him in the days afterwards. And then there's a second thing. There's only two. The basis of Christian joy, two things. One, you got to make sure you're saved, that you're clean, that your conscience is clean. The second thing is the Lordship of Christ has to be true in your life. The Lordship of Christ. Meaning that Jesus is literally Lord, boss, master, president, CEO, chief. 1977, I took a trip, a missionary trip. I actually went through about 14 countries. I was going for about three and a half weeks, longest I've ever been away from the church. And one of the places that we traveled through, we, didn't, we only stayed there maybe half a day, was Monaco, but we were driving from Italy down through France and across into Greece. And so we just stopped there out of curiosity, and we walked through the great casino that you've heard about in Morocco where people come from all over the world and gamble, and I don't know, dozens of people kill themselves after they lost everything there, and it's very historic, and they tell you all those little stories. Monaco's little postage stamp kingdom, they call it, is probably not, maybe not a whole lot bigger than the city of Florence, just a few miles in each direction, nestled right there on the Mediterranean coast, and the south of France, really. And you look at the uh, land there, and the beaches out here, beautiful coast, and then you go maybe a half a mile, and then the mountains start going right up. Well, the king or the prince of Monaco at that time was a man named Prince Renier. And Prince Renier was a dashing, handsome, wealthy playboy. He had gone to Hollywood and he had met Grace Kelly, who was a big star in those days. Some of y'all don't know who I'm talking about, but many of you do. And he married Grace Kelly, so she became Princess Grace and Prince Renier. And there up on the hill, uh, my friend who was with me showed me the palace where Grace Kelly and Prince Renier lived. And it was a palace. It went on forever, and, you know, a complex like you couldn't believe it. It was a true uh, castle with the king and queen living in it. But then I learned something. I learned that when the prince was there in the castle, they flew a flag with his coat of arms on the flag. And when he left the premises, even if it was just going across town, they took the flag down. And so you could always look up there at the, at the castle, and you would know, is the king in or is the king out, by whether or not the flag is flying. Well, I had just learned a definition. And when they, they told me that story, It just about set me to shouting. It was wonderful because the definition, I just listened to Adrian Rogers preach a message. And here's how Adrian defined joy. He said, joy is the flag that flies from the castle of the heart when the king is in residence on the throne. Wow. I've gone over there and seen that actually in life. Joy is the flag that flies from the castle of your heart when the king is in residence on the throne. How about that? Your heart is the castle. And when Jesus is on the throne, the lordship of Christ, when Jesus is on the throne, the flag of joy will be flying high. And when the king is not on the throne... When I put King Bill on the throne instead of King Jesus in my heart, guess what? I lose my joy. Doesn't that explain why so many people today don't have the joy of the Lord in their life? Now, let me ask you a question. Most of you are Christians. Is the flag flying? Is the flag flying in your heart this morning? Do you have that Simple, old-fashioned joy that only the Lord can give. Not the joy of the world, not the momentary hilarity and happiness of a moment. But do you have that calm, peaceful delight in whatever circumstances? Even when you stand over the casket and your heart is broken and tears are running down your face, Well, preacher, do people have joy then? They sure do. Their heart is broken. They're losing their loved one. But deep down inside, under the surface of the water in the heart, there's that calm peace, a delight that someday it'll be different, it'll be better. I'll see them again. I'm not without hope. And whatever we go through, He's there with us, and he'll sustain us. No, we're not morbid. We don't relish that. We dread those things. We'll all have to go through those things of illness and death and all the problems of life. But let me tell you, you can do it with joy. Joy unspeakable, Paul said, and full of glory. Is the flag flying in your heart? Is the king in residence on your throne? Do you have joy? An unbeliever, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus is your Lord, you can find happiness without Jesus because happiness is so temporary. And it's so shallow. And I can go to any bar in town and I can find temporary happiness for a few minutes but I'll never find joy. You can't have the joy of the Lord without, without having the Lord of the joy. Is the flag flying? It can be. Stand to your feet with me if you will, please. Bow your head. <clears throat>